Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. And hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we head into a, a weekend where we set those clocks up an hour. Don't forget that this weekend we spring forward. Well, lots to talk about. Another busy show today. We have several guests lined up, cover a lot of different topics. Let's get right into the news of the day. Still a lot of talk about the tariffs. And of course, the latest on this, uh, the Trump administration announcing they will carve out relief uh, for Canada and Mexico. They'll be initially, anyway, exempt from the tariffs. And Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue saying that uh, we're going to use this to get NAFTA done. But Senate Ag Committee Chair Pat Roberts says temporary carve-outs for the NAFTA partners are bad trade policy because they will create market uncertainty. Roberts went on to say, I don't think our trade policy should be used as a playing card. So we'll be keeping a close watch on that. Talk more about trade a little bit later with the executive director of the group Farmers for Free Trade. Elsewhere in the news, and this is a topic we want to get into uh, here in our opening segment of today's show, there are reports that lawmakers are close to announcing a deal to reform the Section 199A tax benefit for farmer cooperatives that was part of the 2017 tax cuts. The new provision, which will be folded into an omnibus spending bill that Congress must pass this month, uh, is kind of... We're not getting a lot of details on it now. There's a few things kind of trickling out of what it may entail. Perhaps our first guest today can give us some more information on it, shed some light on it, and that is Chuck Connor, President and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. Chuck, thanks for joining us on Adams on Agriculture. Mike, thanks for having me on your show. All right. You know, when you and I talked, oh, a few months ago, this was before the tax reform the package was passed, and your concern at that point was uh, would farmer co-ops get uh, a fair break in that, and now everything has shifted around, and the criticism is you got too much of a break, and how do we fix it, how do we change it, and we're looking now perhaps uh, some kind of reform to the, uh, to the 199A uh, situation. What can you tell us? What is the latest on this? Well, Mike, as you know, um the provision that is in current law, which would allow co-op farmers to take a 20% deduction of their gross sales to co-ops, was never something we really asked for. What we have always asked for was a, a continuation of uh, the 199 deduction, which uh, co-ops have, have used for many years and often uh, passed that same deduction through to our uh, farmer patrons. And this has been a popular program, a useful tool for us in terms of uh, managing our tax liability as well as our producer's tax liability. So we've always just wanted that continued. So our negotiations in the last month have been focused around trying to restore the old 199 deduction uh, that uh, had, had served this industry so well. It's been a tough negotiation, uh, Mike, but I, I will uh, concur with uh, the, the statements that are out there that we are very, very close uh, to an agreement on this. Uh, we have not seen any sort of legislative language, so that's important that we see that to make sure that uh, it does what you know they they say it uh, is supposed to do, and to make sure we get it right. Uh, you know, when there was a misstep here in the uh, original bill, we don't want to make another misstep. So 
carefully reviewing that language is important, and that's the next step in this process that uh, hopefully will occur here within the next uh, few days. So, again, just to kind of recap, you you got more than you would ask for in the, in the tax bill. You, you weren't asking for the uh, uh, what you wound up with, uh, which was more than you had. You were asking to keep what you had going into the uh, the tax reform bill, right? That is correct, Mike. Uh, again, the 199 deduction has been a, an extremely useful tool for co-ops and for our farmer patrons. And um, this is something that's been in place for many, many years. It was eliminated as part of the tax package uh, over our objections, but in, in sort of putting something in there to uh, replace what they had taken away from us, they, they missed the mark a little bit uh, with something that, again, we didn't ask for, and when we saw it, we knew that there was going to be quite a quite a uh, uproar out in uh, uh, farm country among private uh, buyers of commodities. Because you recognize then that with the the new setup, it was going to be a uh, uh, disadvantage for others as far as being able to compete with the the co-ops that had the the tax break. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, Mike, and as you can imagine, we've had many, many inquiries in the last couple of months of uh, uh, people and companies that are interested in creating co-ops in order to, to take advantage of this new law. You know, that is, is, was really not anybody's purpose here. We, you know, we did not uh, go into this debate on 199 uh, wanting to restructure the way commodities are marketed in this country. Uh, we just simply wanted the retention of the 199 deduction a very useful tool for us, very useful for our farmers. And, and you know, that's always been our position, and that's where I hope we end up uh, with at the, the end of this uh, difficult negotiation process that we've been engaged in for the last two months. Has there been confusion in the marketplace since the tax package was passed? I mean, I've heard some farmers kind of wondering and asking questions themselves about what do we do or what should we do what are you hearing out in the uh, in the countryside uh, there's a lot of confusion uh, there's a lot of uh, opposition to changing this provision uh, as you can imagine if you're doing business with a co-op uh, this uh, uh, provision in current law um, offers a tremendous opportunity for you to manage your tax liability so there's a lot of producers out there that are you know very opposed to making that change as, as well so this is, you know, this is the word coming in from the countryside. Um, I will, again, just say, Mike, that at the end of the day, when we saw this uh, current law provision for the first time, we knew it wasn't sustainable. Um, that, you know, this is not something uh, in tax policy where um, one sector of the economy should be given such a tremendous advantage over uh, another sector, and, and that had been the case here. So we're anxious to put this behind us. Producers need the certainty. They're marketing crops as we speak in an environment where they do not know what kind of tax liability they're creating for themselves. So they need the certainty. They need, you know, they need us to get this done and, and get it done quickly. So hopefully that will happen, you think, in the next few days, Chuck? We expect to see a, a legislative draft um, very soon. And, again, I would describe the negotiations as being very close. Um, and and we'll see that draft and review it uh, to confirm just how close we are. But I think this is 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 moving towards a uh, um, a conclusion here very rapidly. 
All right, Chuck, thanks for the update, and we'll probably get back in touch with you after you see the uh, the final wording and the final draft, and it, it gets uh, done, and then we'll get your reaction at that time, okay? Well, I look forward to sharing that with you, Mike, and so that you can get that out to the farmers so that they can start making uh, you know real, real-time decisions based upon um, a law that's going to be in place for a while. Very good. Thanks, Chuck. Take care. Thanks, Mike. Take care. Chuck Connor, president and CEO of the National Council of Farmer Cooperatives. So maybe they're about to get this 199 situation fixed. Uh, hopefully so. Uh, as he said, the, they got farmer cooperatives didn't ask for what they got in that tax bill. They wanted to just be uh, the way it was. So we'll see how close it uh, goes back to that when uh, this new draft that's supposedly going to be coming out here very, very soon. All right, coming up next, Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau, will join us. We're going to talk tariffs and trade, his group getting ready to go to Washington, D.C. What are their priorities? We'll find out next on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of my pillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you could move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster, and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed. It's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10-year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60-day money-back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four-pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go-anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. We're proud of our new affiliates. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Tired of yesterday's missed weeds becoming today's big problem? Get rid of missed weeds for good with Liberty, the herbicide that puts an end to missed weeds, guaranteed. Plus, Liberty is proven effective on tough-to-control and resistant grasses and broadleaf weeds. So choose Liberty, the simply better solution for superior weed control, backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Talk to your retailer to learn how you can qualify for the Liberty Guarantee. Always read and follow label directions. Reason number 12 why you should own a Thermospas hot tub? They require no attachment to your home's plumbing. Thanks to the Thermospas unique built-in thermofiltration system that filters the water an incredible 144 times a day, you simply fill it with a garden hose and your water stays crystal clear with very little maintenance. Call to receive your free DVD videos and brochure and find out how you can own a Thermospas hot tub for only a few dollars a day. Right now, they're offering 0% APR financing with approved credit and a $1,250 savings coupon, including free delivery, free chemicals, and a cash discount. And with models starting at $4,995, there will never be a better time to own a Thermospas hot tub. So call now and ask about this limited time offer. Call Thermospas today at 800-991-5852 for your free DVD videos and brochure. That's 800-991-5852. Thermospas, hot tubs designed to improve your life. 
Call 800-991-5852 today to take advantage of 0% APR financing. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Welcome back to AOA. So it sounds like they're close to getting the Section 199 tax exemption for co-ops. Perhaps get that straightened out here this week. We're also hearing that maybe the RFS RINs issue could be decided early next week. We understand there may be a, and these this is just kind of what we're hearing at this point so you never know for sure if it's going to happen a lot of things a lot of meetings have been held and some canceled some postponed at the white house on this issue but we're hearing there may be a meeting on monday by agency heads and ceos at the white house uh no lawmakers not even the president expected to be at that meeting but uh, perhaps uh, some sort of resolution will be reached at that meeting we'll be watching that certainly come monday um, a lot of groups are out there, a lot of ag groups right now. Um, the Illinois corn growers are going to be out there next week. Missouri Farm Bureau will be out there with the delegation. Joining us now is Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Hi, Blake. How are you? Just fine, Mike. Good to talk to you. Well, your group headed to Washington, D.C., and uh, as always, no shortage of issues that uh, you'll be able to talk with your uh, legislators about. Um, tell us what are the uh, priority items that you have set uh, to talk about next week. Well, we've got about uh, 90 folks going out, and uh, we will be talking, of course, about Farm Bill. I have a chance to meet with some folks working on that. Our de- delegation on Thursday morning will uh, going to go over to the Ag uh, Department. So we'll have a chance to talk to uh, Secretary McKinney over there, and I'm sure that the recent uh, uh, dust up in the, tr- the trade world will be at top of mind at, during that discussion. Uh, there's uh, it's still not confirmed, but there's some chance we'll get to meet with uh, Administrator Brood of the EPA, and obviously with him, we'll be talking about uh, you know uh, regulation, reporting regulations. Uh, we'll be talking about uh, the importance of getting a good rewrite on the Lotus Bill. So lots of topics while we're in Washington D.C. Like I know you've been quoted about uh, your concerns over uh, some of these trade issues, especially the, the tariffs on steel and aluminum. Of course, it's come out now. They're going to be kind of a carve-out exemptions for the time being for Canada and Mexico. But still, that, that overall uh, policy of using tariffs, uh, I know that concerns you. Well, we, uh, we depend on trade. And, and although uh, it was good news that they're carving out Canada and Mexico, at least temporarily, but uh, you know, the EU has already listed uh, their list of items that they'll put a retaliatory uh, tariff on, and uh, high amongst them was corn. Uh, a lot of Missouri farmers kind of depend on foreign markets for corn, and the, and the EU is a good customer of ours. Uh, I noticed that they were um, also going to put a tariff on bourbon, so, so I guess uh, worst comes to worst, we will be able to buy cheaper whiskey to drown our sorrows, but... Uh, it is a concern. I mean, it just is a, uh, a negotiating tactic that uh, we've not really seen before, and maybe it'll work. I certainly hope it does. Well, obviously, there's the fear of retaliation against ag products, uh, whether it's soybeans or whatever it may be, but also just uh, could also add to the uh, the price of uh, farm equipment. Well, we uh, had one of our members who farms actually not very far away from from us in northwest Missouri and said he'd gotten a, uh, a call from his distributor that sells him his grain bins. Uh, already talking about a 25% increase in prices um, because of the difference in steel. And so 
So that that just got to be a concern. I mean, when you when you climb into a combine, you're sitting on the top of uh, tens of thousands of pounds of steel, all of which um, is going to cost 25 percent more. So so it really is a concern. We're talking with Blake Hurst, president of the Missouri Farm Bureau. Blake, uh, as these NAFTA negotiations continue on, uh, and we hear that maybe there's been a little bit of progress, but overall, it's kind of has has had a negative feel to it so far. Uh, what's your takeaway from what you're seeing and hearing as far as Trump administration trade policy? Well, we, we you know we have to be concerned that uh, Treasury Secretary Cohn left, who was a champion of of trade and thereby a champion of farmers. Uh, he, he obviously felt like he lost the internal battle over the over the tariffs. He resigned. Uh, some of the some of the rumors I'm getting is that some pretty good friends of agriculture uh, were able to that working in the White House were able to uh, sort of uh, he provided them cover in in Washington speak. In other words, he gave them he gave them some room to advocate for agriculture. Uh, we wonder how to, you know you have to wonder how long they'll stay. Uh, so it, it is it's a real con- I mean, it's just scary as heck, and I don't think there's any other way to put it. And we keep hoping that this is all part of a grand strategy that'll have a successful, uh, successful trade negotiation at the end of it. Uh, but so far, we haven't seen that. All we've heard is a lot of rhetoric that's frightening to agriculture. You mentioned next week. Uh, we understand that House Ag Committee Chair Mike Conaway. Uh, hopes to release his draft farm bill next week in preparation for committee action the week of March 19th. Uh, the bill would go to the House floor after lawmakers return from the Easter recess. But we also heard yesterday joining us here on uh, Adams on Agriculture was Colin Peterson, the ranking member of the House Ag Committee, and he does not like, nor do the Democrats on the uh, committee, they do not like proposed changes in the food stamps and the nutrition part of the bill. And he says right now that's a deal breaker for for them. So obviously there's some fence mending that needs to take place even on the, the House Ag Committee. It shows how contentious this can still be and that this farm bill still got a long ways to go, Blake. Yeah, well, it, it looks like, uh, uh, you know, if you remember the movie Groundhog Day where, where Bill Murray is stuck uh, living the same story over and over again day after day after day until he finally gets it right. Uh, this is the same lineup we had going into the last farm bill, uh, the same uh, group of people on both sides. We've got about 25 or 30 uh, Freedom Caucus folks on the, on the right side that won't vote for a farm bill. Uh, so in order to, uh, to uh, hold the Republicans together, you have to make some changes in SNAP. But if you make changes in SNAP, uh, you lose the, the Democrats. You may need to pass the bill. Uh, and that's kind of the same story we saw five years ago, four years ago. So, so hopefully we'll make progress. Uh, we certainly had some good news with the disaster bill, um, which which um, puts uh, cotton back in Title One, and at least started down the road of making some good changes for dairy. Uh, those were things we needed to get done. It gave us more baseline. All those things are good, uh, but they also removed uh, some impetus to get a farm bill done. So, so it was kind of a mixed blessing, I think. Yeah, that's an interesting point. You- Addressing those two key areas, that that was the good news. But does that, yeah, take some of the uh, uh, the urgency off getting the bill done now? And we've even heard talk it could be pushed all the way back to 2019. Now, 
Colin Peterson did tell us yesterday he thinks unless they can get this thing worked out on the food stamps, that it just really opens the door again for that debate of uh, should we separate the nutrition title out from the the uh, commodity title of the farm bill. And that's another road that, the, you know, we know when you start going down that, all kinds of trouble and makes it harder to get a bill done. So uh, there, there are plenty of hurdles yet to overcome. Yeah, we I, I, I've heard a little bit of noise about that in Missouri. Uh, again, it didn't work very well last time. People seem to have forgotten that. Uh, we we need to get it together, keep it together, and we need to get it get it done. So uh, hopefully that uh, everybody will remember their history uh, and we'll be able to get past this rough patch and get this thing done. Blake, you're on the board for the American Farm Bureau Federation. Uh, we talked with Zippy DeLal yesterday, president of AFBF, and talked about the this cooperative effort between the American Farm Bureau and the National Farmers Union, two groups that haven't uh, always been able to work together on issues. But here's one that uh, you have come together on, and that is to deal, to try to uh, do something about this opioid crisis in America. Yeah, and we're uh, we're proud to be uh, teamed up with whoever we can team up with to, to address the problem. It is serious, uh, and you know, and it's it, it's possible. Um, you know, when I started reading about it in the newspapers, I hadn't heard much about it that in, in, in our part of the world, in our part of rural Missouri. But I started asking questions, started kind of looking into it, and it's a real problem. Uh, and I don't think there's a real community that's been uh, immune. So hopefully, we'll be able to make some progress. But these things are really tough. Uh, to turn around once you get once you get headed down the wrong road, and we are, and it will be a long-term problem and a long-term solution if we can find one. Well, Blake, thank you for your time, and uh, have a, a good trip next week to Washington, D.C. with your delegation from the Missouri Farm Bureau, and uh, uh, we'll be in touch. Always good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Thank you very much. Glad to talk to you, Mike. All right, take care. Blake Hurst, president of Missouri Farm Bureau. And again, uh, their group will be going to the nation's capital next week. A number of groups out there. Busy time of year for those visits, especially with the issues going on now with trade and farm bill and the RFS, just to uh, name a few. We'll talk more about trade a little bit later in the program with the executive director of Farmers for Free Trade. Learn more about that coalition. But coming up next, we're going to talk with the Minnesota Commissioner of Agriculture. Dave Fredrickson will join us. Uh, there's, of course, a focus, a, a strong focus throughout the country on the on groundwater quality and protecting the quality of groundwater and concerns about runoff from fields. Uh, they're putting together a program in the state of Minnesota to address this. We want to get an update on that and how uh, other states might want to take a look at something like that as well. So that's coming up next. Thanks for joining us. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until... The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. 
And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. Time for Market Jack here on Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson of the American Ag Network. Grain and soybean futures backtracking on this Friday after USDA's monthly supply demand report on Thursday. The agency painting a positive outlook for corn with higher exports and lower stocks while forecasting that soybean supplies would swell on weaker international demand. S&P futures rallying after Friday morning's jobs data Weaker-than-expected wage growth data has likely eased some concerns among investors about building inflation pressures. Gold prices falling early on this Friday after the February jobs report showed U.S. unemployment held at a 17-year low in February. In soybean futures, trending 14 to 15 cents lower 90 minutes into the trading session, wheat and soybeans showing losses outside markets finding Dow futures rallying on this Friday. On the charts, May soybeans support coming in at 1043, 10-day moving average at 1061 and three quarters. New support forming on May corn at 385 and three quarters on Thursday. As long as that holds, May corn bulls will retain the technical edge. Old crop May clearing technical resistance on its weekly chart near 392 in recent activity. For livestock at the Merck in cattle and hog futures on this Friday trading session, a defensive tone in both lean hogs, feeder cattle, and in live cattle too. Meat packers selling wholesale pork for sharply lower prices on Wednesday and on Thursday morning, according to USDA. Prices for pork bellies used, of course, to make bacon, falling around $10 on both days. Outside markets on Wall Street, the Dow up over 200 points, S&P 500 up 24. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. I'm Rusty Halverson for the American Ag Network. All right, guys, we're ready for our four-season sunroom, and Daddy's going to get a rec room with refreshments. Oh, no, we'll be sleeping under the stars. Mom, what about the one with, you know, the fun? Nice try, little bro. It's a gym, my gym. Hey, Grandma's getting her Four Seasons garden room, weather tight and still like being outdoors. Maybe a living room. Oh, no, wait, a family hub. Yeah. No matter what the budget, the season, or the climate, Four Seasons Sunrooms let you and your family enjoy the outdoors inside. Call now to hear more about these great offers from the premier manufacturer of sunrooms since 1975. More reasons for Four Seasons now. To find out more, call toll-free 800-988-4477. That's 800-988-4477. Call 800-988-4477 today. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And welcome back. You know, agriculture faces many challenges. We talked a lot about, you know, trade and um, RFS and Farm Bill and those types of things. But one of the biggest challenges agriculture facing right now is that over groundwater quality, a lot of critics, a lot of opponents of uh, production agriculture 
uh, wanting drastic changes to how we farm, uh, uh, critical of uh, runoff from fields into uh, rivers and streams. Agriculture taking a lot of action on this, and many people are working hard on it. There's an effort uh, going on now in the state of Minnesota we want to get an update on with Dave Fredrickson, Minnesota's Ag Commissioner. Dave, thank you for joining us here on Adams and Agriculture. Good to talk with you again. Likewise, Mike. Good to hear your voice. Well, tell us about uh, this program that you're starting there in Minnesota. How are you addressing the groundwater situation? Well, uh, it's been a long process, obviously, and uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, in your lead-up to this, there are a lot of folks that are uh, highly critical. I've been telling farmers forever, uh, get ahead of this issue. Uh, don't be continuing to follow behind it. And so I think this is an effort, and, uh, you know, we're going to see how it goes. We're, we have rulemaking authority of, since 1989 in our Minnesota Groundwater Protection Act, and we're following up on that rulemaking authority uh, and moving ahead with it. And tell us uh, what's being done out on the land to address this issue. So what we've done is uh, we've gone out with a informal uh, process last year, uh, basically saying uh, using a tool that measures the conductivity of water through soil, and that hit pretty hard all across the state. So we went out and uh, had sessions. We listened to uh, farmers comment uh, on uh, let's see, 11, uh, 17 meetings across the state. Uh, we took in about 820 comments uh, for the informal uh, rule, and uh, we, we saw at least uh, 1,500 or more people at those 17 listening sessions and came back uh, this uh, year and now uh, and said, look, we've listened, we heard, we're making some changes in this, and so we're the rule was two parts, uh, and the second part of the rule went to mandatory regulation in terms of uh, adopting uh, best management practices. We took that out, so this will be voluntary at the end. But we're, uh, the first part of the rule basically says no application of fall fertilizer in areas of vulnerable soils. And so we've identified those vulnerable soils from the central part of Minnesota straight on down through the Karst region, which everyone knows is, uh, is highly susceptible to leaching, uh, way down to the southern part of Minnesota. Sort of a narrow band that follows the, the uh, uh, and heads on into the Mississippi River. And so that's what we'll be going back out in the field talking about. I've had a hearing in front of the Senate Ag Committee. I'll be going in front of the House Ag Committee. Uh, I think it's next week. And so there's a lot of there's a lot of attention paid to it, and I'll probably get chewed up and chewed out pretty good, but that's okay. Dave, you have you just touched on the key issue in all this that everyone is grappling with: voluntary efforts versus mandatory. Regulations. I think agriculture obviously uh, prefers to go with uh, voluntary, but the question always is, can you get enough people to voluntarily uh, get on board with efforts to make a difference? How do you feel about it? Well, I think so. You know, first of all, if you're, if you're applying anhydrous ammonia uh, in the fall or uh, urea, and you're out there on vulnerable soils, which will be guaranteed uh, to leach, you're probably 
probably shouldn't be doing that to start with, and most farmers don't. And so I'm hoping that, you know, uh, when we talk to farmers, they they said uh, earlier when we were out with our first proposed rule, hey, we're doing that already. You know, do I, I, do I look stupid? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go out and spread uh, uh, fertilizer, particularly nitrogen fertilizer, in the fall, the full dose of it. I uh, may spread a little bit, but, uh, you know, we think that the best time to uh, apply nitrogen fertilizer is when you have a green growing plant above so it can take up the, uh, the nitrogen. You don't want to lose nitrogen. You're just throwing money down the well if you're doing that. We're talking with Dave Fredrickson. He is the uh, Minnesota Ag Commissioner. We're talking about efforts uh, to protect groundwater quality. We, we saw what happened in Iowa, Dave, with the whole lawsuit issue, uh, and certainly I think everyone uh, wants to avoid that, uh, try to stay out of the uh, the legal system and, and, and do it on a uh, cooperative uh, basis uh, and, and move forward that way. Yeah, absolutely, and that, that was sort of a shot across the bow. Uh, and again, it goes back to my earlier point about let's get ahead of this. Uh, let's do what we can uh, to avoid having to, you know, go through a court proceedings. We don't want to do that. And farmers need to lead on this. And I think in the main they have. Uh, but sometimes it takes a little more encouragement uh, to move forward. Uh, I'm an old dirt farmer from Murdoch. I understand it. Uh, I can relate to it. It's hard to be told, you know, look, you, you shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but at the same time, I think they uh, they recognized certainly they recognized the economic issue, and I know they recognize the environmental impact. We've got folks that are saying, "Hey, nitrates are good for you." Uh, you know, uh, come on, it's a well-known fact that nitrates leach, and it's also a well-known fact that if if nitrate levels are above the 10 parts per million drinking water standard, you could have problems. And so we've done a significant amount of well testing in Minnesota. We hope for a, a significant database of 70,000 rural wells. We've tested voluntarily. They submit their sample uh, of, of well water. And we've tested about 22,000 wells. And so far, there is close to 10% of those, about 9.7%, are coming back uh, with the re results showing in excess of 10 parts per million. That means out of that 20, 22,000 wells, there's over 2,000 wells that are contaminated beyond 10 parts per million. You shouldn't be drinking it, particularly if you have uh, you know little children, babies. And so uh, it's our responsibility to do something about it because we have statu statutory authority going back to uh, 1989. I was in the Minnesota Senate at the time. I remember well when the Groundwater Protection Act went through. It has nearly 30 years of history. And so uh, we're, we're going to move forward based on our, our authority to uh, make a change, with, particularly with best management practices. Uh, the mandatory portion we've we've pulled out. We're basically saying, uh, in, in part two, part one basically says uh, no fall application of fertilizer. We'll use uh, local uh, uh, farmer uh, committees to assist uh, all of them themselves in what the best management practices should be on on their own land. So we've in, we've totally involved uh, community members in this process and hope to, you know, move forward with that approach. It goes without saying that obviously farmers want clean water. Uh, so they're going to they want to address this, but they're also 
wanting to stay in business and be able to uh, farm their land. And yep. we know that uh, opponents and critics of production agriculture are looking at this as a way to really go after uh, the way farmers farm. So this is obviously a huge issue for agriculture and for uh, our society as we as we move forward. Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't doubt that, you know, this is going to be a rocky road, uh, but that's all right. Uh, sometimes you have to push the issue. I remember going, going way back to uh, the years when we moved ahead with biofuels in Minnesota. Uh, the, you know, the, the people were skeptical about it. And at the end of the day, uh, you know, we really have, here we are in Minnesota, we're a, we're a headwater state with a major river running through us. Now, our program deals with groundwater, but there's no no question that surface water is also impacted. And as we as we move forward, I, I think about the river, and I think about you know the responsibility we have as citizens of Minnesota of being at the head of the Mississippi River. Uh, we have a moral obligation to take care of the water. I know that my colleagues in uh, further on down the, the 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 river are not saying you know send us all the all the stuff you want. We'll just deal with it. Uh, no, they're not. And I think Des Moines Water Works uh, clearly brought that case uh, front and center. And so we certainly don't want to go down that road. And I think this is a an approach that uh, we can make work. The, the statute is clear that we must uh, uh, utilize tools that are practicable. And they use the term practicable four times in the preamble of of uh, the chapter dealing with groundwater protection. And practicable means that we do no uh, harm. And so the issue will hinge on, you know, are we doing harm to farmers from an economic basis? And as, you know, as an old dirt farmer from western Minnesota, you know, you have to count the amount of leaching that's going to occur or the amount of nitrogen loss against what it may cost you uh, to do a, a split application. And so I think we have to put all the cards on the table from an economic perspective and, and let the numbers speak for themselves. It is indeed a critical issue, and we want to let people know the efforts that are being made out there by farmers and by states such as yours to, uh, to address uh, the groundwater quality issue. And, Dave, thanks for the update. Good luck uh, with your efforts there in Minnesota. Always good to talk with you. Take care. Likewise. Good, good, goodbye. Dave Fredrickson, he is the Minnesota Ag Commissioner. All right, when we come back in our final uh, segment of today's show, I want to get back on the trade issue that's so critically important to agriculture um, the tariff situation, what's going on with NAFTA, uh, carve-outs from tariffs for Canada and Mexico, at least at the outset. Uh, but does that set a bad precedent? All kinds of questions. We're going to talk with the executive director of a coalition that's been formed called Farmers for Free Trade. We'll get their thoughts on what's going on with these trade policies of the Trump administration. That's coming up next. Stay with us. This is AOA, Adams on Agriculture. What if you had a medical emergency away from home? What you need is Mobile Help, America's premier mobile medical alert system. Most systems only work at home, but with Mobile Help, you get help outside the home with coverage nationwide on one of the largest cellular networks at the press of a button. I press the button, and lo and behold, the emergency came within minutes. Mobile Help did save my life. No question about that. Call Mobile Help now for a free color brochure. We'll send you everything you need, including the base station, the patented mobile device, the 
waterproof pendant and wrist button. You can also add the fall button that automatically detects falls and signals help. Call today and receive a risk-free 30-day trial. There's no equipment to buy and no long-term contract. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free emergency key box with your plan purchase. Remember, mobile help keeps you safe coast to coast. Call 800-930-6137 now for your free mobile help brochure. That's 800-930-6137. Again, 800-930-6137. If you or your family love the freedom of swimming any time of year, if you love sharing good times and making great memories, or if you want one of the best total body workouts ever, then it's time to discover the three C's of your very own endless pool. The first C is convenience. Imagine swimming year-round in your own private swimming pool, installed indoors or out, just steps away. The second C is comfort. With sculpted spa seats and your own adjustable temperature, you can easily escape the stress of your day. And the third C is cost. Your endless pool is an affordable luxury at a fraction of the cost of a regular pool. And here's a bonus C, choice. Because when you call for your free endless pool idea kit, you'll receive information on our full line of pools to suit your budget and location. Call now for your free information, 800-717-0734, 800-717-0734. Looking for a proven herbicide trait system this upcoming season? Look no further than the Liberty Link system. With a 2-plus bushel per acre yield advantage over Asbro Roundup ready to extend and superior weed control, growers across the country are seeing phenomenal results. In fact, 97% of growers reported good to excellent performance. Ask your authorized seed dealer or retailer about the Liberty Link system, the highest rated soybean trait system in 2017. Learn more at libertylinkadvantage.bear.us. Always read and follow legal instructions. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow. And like all of you out there, I had problems sleeping. Pillows would go flat. I would flip-flop all night long. I would wake up with a sore neck, maybe a headache, or feel like I needed a nap even though I slept eight hours. When I invented my pillow, I wanted it to where you can move the patented fill to give you the exact support you need as an individual, regardless of sleep position. My pillow will get you into that deep sleep faster and you will stay there longer. It's not about how much time we spend in bed, it's about how much of that quality sleep we get. I do all of my own manufacturing right here in the United States. I have a 10 year warranty. You can wash and dry my pillow, and I give you a 60 day money back guarantee so you have nothing to lose. My pillow now offers 50% off their four pack special. That's two premium pillows and two go anywhere pillows, 50% off. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. 50% off MyPillow's four-pack special. Go to MyPillow.com or call 800-871-7280 and use promo code FARM11. Looking for a proven herbicide trait system this upcoming season? Look no further than the Liberty Link system. With a 2-plus bushel per acre yield advantage over Asbro Roundup ready to extend and superior weed control, growers across the country are seeing phenomenal results. In fact, 97% of growers Growers reported good to excellent performance. Ask your authorized seed dealer or retailer about the Liberty Link system, the highest rated soybean trait system in 2017. Learn more at libertylinkadvantage.bear.us. Always read and follow label instructions. ESN is a responsive nitrogen. That means it does something amazing. This. That's the sound of ESN getting ready. Carefully, quietly calculating the exact moment to respond to your plant's needs. Why is that amazing? Because while other nitrogen might denitrify, volatilize, or leach away, ESN stays put inside its polymer coating, saving your nitrogen investment until...
The same triggers that spur plant growth tell ESN it's time to get busy and deliver the nitrogen your plants need. And ESN's controlled release technology means your plants get season-long feeding. Remember, when it comes to nitrogen, this beats and every time. Effective nitrogen, that's a given. Responsive nitrogen, that's amazing. That's ESN. Go to smartnitrogen.com to learn more. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And welcome back to AOA. Well, you've heard uh, from various people in agriculture concerns about the Trump administration's tariffs uh, on steel and aluminum, even with the carve-outs for and exemptions now, at least initially, for Mexico and Canada. Uh, some are saying this is a disastrous course of action. Others pointing out it could increase prices for tractors and combines. We talked about that earlier. Some are saying, though, the exemptions for Canada and Mexico show that the Trump administration recognizes the importance of those two countries as uh, trading partners with us. So uh, some are trying to see the positive side of this as well. Uh, let's talk about it with the executive director of a group called Farmers for Free Trade. Brian Keel joins us. Hi, Brian. Thanks for being with us. Hey, how are you? Very good. Hey, first of all, for those not familiar with Farmers for Free Trade, just give us a little background on your group. Sure. So uh, Farmers for Free Trade is a nonprofit. It's a uh, bipartisan nonprofit uh, that was founded last year. It's supported by m many of the major ag associations, so American Farm Bureau, National Pork Producers, National Corn Growers, National Wheat Growers, as well as literally thousands of farmers and individual ag businesses. Uh, so we're really kind of an umbrella for the ag community to try to help focus the message around trade and really engage farmers in support of trade because it's, it's so critical to U.S. agriculture. Okay, so what's your reaction then to the uh, tariff announcement by the president? Well, we're, we're deeply concerned about it, and I think a lot of ag is. Um, Farmers for Free Trade released a report two weeks ago. You can find it on our website, which is farmersforfreetrade.com. And in that report, we looked at past tariffs that the U.S. had placed on other countries and what the reaction from other countries has been. And so if you, look, if you look at history, you go back, you know, 10, 20 years, almost every time we place a tariff on someone else, they retaliate by putting a tariff back on us. That's how trade wars start. And the problem is, you know, these other countries aren't idiots. They know that ag is, is particularly uh, susceptible to tariffs. And we're susceptible for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of our products are perishable, so they tend to go after products that, that don't have a long shelf life. So... When we tried to uh, restrict Mexican trucks coming into the U.S., one of the big responses for Mexico, this is going back a number of years now, but some of your listeners may remember it, one of the big responses from Mexico was to put tariffs on Washington state apples. Um, you know, really hurt that industry. Now, when President Trump put tariffs um, on washing machines and, uh, and uh, solar panels, what did China do? Well, they started an a investigation into whether they should put tariffs on U.S. sorghum, and that caused sorghum prices to drop, just the threat of retaliation against sorghum. So something broad like steel and aluminum that hits a lot of our allies, I mean, you've mentioned Mexico and Canada, but the EU, South Korea, let alone countries like China, really could 
hit us on multiple levels in ag. So we're, we're very, very concerned. So the carve-outs, the exemptions initially for Mexico and Canada, uh, that may help a little bit. We've heard Canada say that's really not going to change their approach in NAFTA negotiations. I mean, uh, so I don't. it seems like there's more downside risk here than upside potential. Uh, we certainly think so. And, I mean, philosophically, look, here's, here's what the U.S. should be doing. Uh, if you really want to help agriculture, rather than – Rather than breaking open agreements that are actually working for U.S. ag, I mean, NAFTA has been a home-run success for U.S. ag. The amount of product that we export to Mexico and Canada, they're our largest trading partners right now. We've built this massive, efficient, integrated supply chain between the three countries for agriculture. So, you know, barley from Montana goes down to Mexico, is turned into beer, comes back into the U.S. Yeah, I mean, there are multiple examples like that. So rather than, than messing with what's working, we think a better approach is to, to try to break open new markets. You know, President Trump is a great deal maker. He's been in business his whole life, and we'd like to see him applying his energy, for example, to getting us so that we can sell products into Japan. You know, that's a market that's, that's closed for the most part. It would have been opened under the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So we really think the energy is being misplaced. Instead of picking fights, let's go open new markets and sell more products. Is is this Rust Belt versus Farm Belt with the, within the administration? I think it is to some degree. Um, you know, that I think that's probably correct. But, you know, the irony of the thing, and maybe irony is not the right word, you know, this – steel and aluminum tariffs roll back on manufacturing. I mean, you think about you think about Detroit autos. Well, what are they made of? Well, steel and aluminum. You know, they need that as their input. So raising input prices on equipment isn't really helping the Rust Belt either. So it's really kind of benefiting a small piece of the Rust Belt to the detriment of U.S. manufacturing, to the detriment of U.S. agriculture. Um, think about farm equipment. I mean, in your lead-in, you talked about raising prices of farm equipment. We've already seen examples in ag where prices are going up for farm equipment, for, for grain bins, for you know other things that are made out of steel and aluminum. Um, so prices are already adjusting because of the threat of this trade war, and that's already impacting ag prices. Well, we've heard Secretary Purdue say that they're going to use uh, this policy to make, get a better NAFTA deal? That remains to be seen. It, it does, and I think what, what concerns us is, you know, and it's, it's always hard. You don't want to, you, you know, armchair quarterback, and, and so we're, we're trying to be sensitive to that too. But when you look at the NAFTA negotiations, you know, some of the positions the U.S. has put on the table just clearly don't make sense. For example, one of the positions the U.S. has really been pushing hard is that NAFTA should sunset every five years. So every five years, NAFTA should dissolve unless it's restored. You can't plan that way. You know, if you're gonna if you're gonna put in a uh, infrastructure to haul U.S. products to Mexico or Canada, or if you're gonna lock in long-term contracts, or if you're a food processor in Mexico looking to buy on long-term contracts, you can't do it if you don't know what the tariff schedule is going to be six years from now. So a lot of what we're negotiating for doesn't really seem to be in our own best interest. Now, maybe that's just a negotiating posture. That's why I say we don't want to armchair quarterback. But but we're very concerned because this doesn't seem to be going in a good direction for U.S. agriculture. Yeah, a lot on the table, that's for sure. Brian, thank you very much. Uh, enjoyed the conversation. We'll talk again. 
That sounds great. Thank you for all you do. Take care. Thank you. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Well, that wraps it up. Our first week of AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Have a great weekend. Remember, spring forward, set those clocks ahead this weekend. We'll be back on Monday. Iowa Senator Charles Grassley will join us on Monday. Thanks for being with us on AOA, Adams on Agriculture.